Welcome to the Devereaux Committee of Pro Wrestling, presented by the Idiot Radio Network, offering a weekly look into the world of professional wrestling with guest interviews, news, results, and much more. Now here's your host, Stephon Devereaux. And we are back here, Stephon Devereaux, and the Devereaux Committee of Pro Wrestling and wrestling fans, huge interview today. Um, once we get everything connected, because you know we are on location, and uh, once we get everything connected, we're going to have an interview with a legend, a pro wrestling legend. This man has been everywhere. I was watching this man when I was a child, and I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm getting up there. Uh, but he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Here we got my man, Brooke. Hello? Brick, Brick House Brown. Yes. Hey, what's going on, my brother? My man, how are you doing? I can't complain. Every day at Bill Brown is a good day, my friend. Yeah, the, I can't complain either. Well, I was going to Maybe get into it. Trust me, if you do, nobody want to listen to it anyway, man. <laughs> what's what's yeah, going on, my brother? That. Well, I put it like this. You know, I was telling the audience a little bit that uh, I was watching you when I was a child. Not that young. Mm-hmm. Not, trust me, I wasn't that young. But I like to say child. But um, you're one of the most charismatic wrestlers that I've seen growing up. And uh, when I got into the wrestling business, you were one of the guys that I actually wanted to be like. Now, not trying to, you know, uh, blow smoke up your butt or anything like that, but it's the truth, mm-hmm. and it's an honor. It is truly an honor for me to have you on a show today. And um, let's get into this. Uh, okay. Tell I'm us ready. how you got started. Tell us how you got started in the wrestling business. Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to try to make it a short story because there's nobody in professional wrestler that have ever gotten into the wrestling business the way I did. I actually, I'm from Florida, and um, I was a wrestling fan, and I used to watch championship wrestling from Florida, and I used to go to the matches, and um, I've always had, you know, a good workout ethic, so I've always had a, a body, and God bless me with good genes, and uh I found out where the wrestlers were working out at, which was Tampa Fitness Center. <clears throat> so, of course, I joined, and I became friends with some of the wrestlers, where this guy by the name of Jerry Gray told me where to get some boots and tights made. So back back then, you know, it was K&H, you know, wrestling gear. And I got my boots and tights made, and I was smart enough to see on uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling, which was the first syndicated wrestling show uh, before um, – you know, WWE went worldwide, or uh, world class went worldwide. There was Southwest Championship Wrestling on USA Cable. And I was smart enough to see that they didn't have a black wrestler. So I called up Mr. Bill After, who at that time was the um, editor for Inside Wrestling Magazine. And he gave me promoter's phone numbers and addresses because I sent him some pictures and asked him what he thought my chances would be. And he said, good. And, uh, of course, I, he gave me Joe Blanchard's phone number, and I called Joe Blanchard in San Antonio and told him I had been wrestling two years with some of the small rinky-dink promotions because back then there was no videos or anything that they could, you know, require you to, you know, to send to, to see if you could wrestle. So, yeah. of course, with me, me being on the 8 by 10s in the wrestling boots and tights, they believed what I was telling them. But in reality, I had never been trained. Never been in a wrestling ring, and when he gave me my start date, which was May 2nd, 1982, I was overjoyed, and I went back to Tampa Fitness Center, you know, where the guys was working out at, and I told all the guys, I'm going to San Antonio, I'm going to be on Southwest Championship Wrestling, and my real name is Fred Seawright, and I remember Jack Briscoe was there, and Jack said, remember, Fred, when you go, the wrestling business, the guys pull a lot of ribs on a lot of the new guys. Okay, just remember <laughs> that. And they wouldn't smart me up because they thought it was funny as hell that I was going to go to a starting date and never been trained. So anyway, I get to San Antonio. But but before that, 
I'm sitting at home in my living room in St. Petersburg, Florida, and every week one of the guys would mention my name. And by that time, Joe Blanchard, Tully Blanchard's dad, is the one that gave me the name Brickhouse. He said, son, say your name like you're getting ready to wrestle. And I said, from Miami, Florida, weighing 235 pounds, Frederick Seawright. He said, see, that sounds like a loser. <laughs> he, said, he said, nobody is going to back a Frederick Seawright. He said, well, you're built like a, a brick, you know, what house. And he said, we're going to call you Brick House. And he said, let's think of something to go with Brick House. So he came up with Brown, and that's how I got the name Brickhouse Brown, courtesy of Joe Blanchard. But that anyway, so cool. I'm sitting at home watching the television every week, and these guys are giving me mad plugs. You know, you'd have uh, Bobby Jaggers come up, ah, you got this black wrestler coming in, Brickhouse Brown, been all over the world, and I hadn't been nowhere. Been all over the world, and you know, but they were trying to build me up because they hadn't had a black wrestler there in, in, in a few years. And they wanted me to, you know, to have be over by the time I came there. So all the guys would have to give me a plug on the TV, like they were waiting for me to come and they had something for me and this and that and yada, yada, yada. So fast forward to, you know, I, I get down to San Antonio, Texas, and the first thing I do is at TV. So my degree is in communication, so I could always talk. And they had me do a general interview, and I said, hey, this is Brickhouse. I'm glad to be in Southwest Wrestling. I'm going straight up north, and that's straight to the top. And I'm glad to be here, and I just want all the people to support me and back me. And, and they thought that was a good generic interview. So they they felt comfortable with the interview, so they just knew I could wrestle, you know. So the next night at the Hemisphere Arena, which was about 2,000 people there, um, Steve Sachs, the ring announcer and the TV commentator, came over to me when I was leasing up my brand-new wrestling boots that I'd never wore before except for in my backyard practicing wrestling moves on the mattress. That's the only time I had put on a pair of wrestling boots and tights. So anyway, uh, Steve Sachs comes over to me and says, Son, he said, Brickhouse, I got the finish for you. He, he said, uh, We're going to build you up and be the black superstar, and you're going against Bobby Jackers. He's our Southwest champion. And he said, uh, Here's the finish, and I'm looking at him like wondering what the hell is he talking about? Finish? What, what? What is that? And he told me, he said, well, the finish is going to be Don Carson is going to come in the ring. He said, we, we're going to make you a drop kick specialist, and you're going to drop kick Don Carson. He's going to drop the gimmick. You're going to pick it up. You're going to nail Don Carson and nail Bobby Jaggers. Then we're going to send the other heels out, and you're going to drop kick everybody to come in the ring, and you're going to dance and do your thing. And he said, that's why we're going to start the program with you and Bobby Jaggers, and eventually we're going to put the belt on He said, you got it? And just when he told me all this, what Jack Briscoe told me in the gym started ringing a bell. I mean, ding, 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 this is one of them ribs. This guy want me to go out here and look stupid and let them do all of this to me. And I said, I got news for them. I have my own plan. You got to understand, I want to stay in high school three years straight. And then I wrestled, I wrestled, for Auburn, we didn't have a wrestling team. We had a wrestling club, and we always competed against other colleges. And, I mean, I have amateur background. So I could always handle myself. And once me and Bobby Jaggers got in the ring, I had one thing in mind because all I know is I saw Bobby Jaggers hanging people over the ropes with this hangman noose, and I was saying to myself, well, he is not going to do that to me. So when we locked up, I was in there shooting my butt off and uh, lo and behold, when I put him into a chicken wing and he started squealing like a pig, I became very proud of myself because I said, this is the same guy I saw on television beating all these people to death and hanging them with a hangman noose. And this sucker is like hubba bubba, not a speck of trouble. You know, and Dak Ham, the referee, came over and he started counting like he was trying to get me to break the hole. He said, Brick House, what are you doing? In a minute, he's about to give up and I'm going to win this belt. He said, no, 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 Brick House. He said, are you smart? And I thought he insulted me then. I said, smart? I said, I just graduated out of Auburn University. Where the hell did you come out of? What school did you come out of? He said, no, oh, are you man. smart to the wrestling business? This is all set up. And then again, that bell started ringing. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, this got to be another reel. He said, whatever you do, Don Carson is going to come in the ring and nail you in the back of the head with the gimmick, he said, whatever you do, just don't get up. Just lay there. And they wanted to get out of the match in the kind of way he could, right? So in comes Don Carson, 
punched me in the back of the head with the gimmick, which was a working punch. I didn't feel a thing. But Lord Poe, I've never trained, so I didn't know how to sell. So I thought that was the best punch he had. I got up and I said, that's the best you got. And I turned around and picked that gimmick up. And back then, they were using real real gimmicks. You know, when they take something up, it was a real gimmick in case it got out in the audience. So I picked it up and I reared back and I hit Don Carson in the head so solid. He took a bump and rolled out of that ring and started hauling Boogie back to the dressing room. And he looked around and told Bobby Jagger, I remember them words like yesterday. He said, you're on your own on this one, Bobby. And kept going back to the dressing room. And the referee, you know, DQ'd the match. He rung the bell. That's how we got out of the match. So I was disappointed that I didn't win the bell because I looked at him and I said, what did you do that for? You know, I was really pissed off because he stopped me from winning the title, right? So <clears throat> when I walked back to the dressing room, I'm very proud of myself. My chest is sticking out, and I'm saying, Something yeah, real good. I'm ready for that contract. Now, I thought I was going to sign a huge contract, <laughs> and I thought once I got back in the dressing room, the competitor was going to fall, and we were going to have a party. And when I got back to the dressing room, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And I sat down, and my mind, instead of telling me that I was horrible and that I was the drizzling, you know, shiznits, I, my mind told me that they were jealous and didn't want to give me my props, and they were hating on me, you know, because I did so good in my first match. <laughs> so Joe oh, Fletcher walked goodness. over to me. I'm mad like a mug because then I'm thinking they're not giving me my props. Joe Blanchard walked over to me and said, son, he said, how long did you say you were in the wrestling business? <laughs> I looked up at him as I was unleashing my brand-new boots that I had just wore for the first time in a ring. I said, well, sir, I'm taking my boots off. I said, I'm going to tell you the truth. I told y'all I've been wrestling two years, so y'all would bring me in, and i show y'all what I can do, and you give me a contract. And I showed you what I can do. Where's the contract? Now, this is a true story I'm telling you now. That where's the contract? He said, you told what? You said you've been wrestling two years and you never had a match? I said, no, sir. I know you find that hard to believe because I thought I was just the greatest thing, bro. I said, I know you find that hard to believe, but that was my first match. He said, hold that thought. He called all the guys, you know, from the other dressing room, and he said, now tell them what you just told me because you got to remember all these guys were giving me plugs and trying to get me over so I stood up. And I said, oh, okay, this is this is when the party's going to start now. I stood up. And I said, guys, y'all going to find this hard to believe. But that was my first match. And I'm thinking everybody was going to applaud and clap like, hey, man, he did a great job. Because you got to remember, you had guys in there like, I'll tell you who was there. Terry Funk, Adrian Adonis, the Barbarian, uh, Dory Funk Jr., um, uh, Chavo Guerrero. I mean, it was from guys in the dressing room, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) You know, and uh, those guys looked at me, and everybody started filing out, and Joe Blender said, son, he said, I don't know whether to shake your hands or get all of these guys to whoop your butt. (laughs) That's not how he put it, but he said, but whoop your butt. He said, but he said, it took a lot of guts to do what you did. And he said, looking at you, we got to salvage this and you have your behind down to the junction every single day for somebody to train you right, and we're going to see if we can make some money with you. So every day I went down to the junction, it was guys like Harris Funk would be there one day, be there the next day, and then there was some Mexican guys like Jesse Ortega, Chavo. So a bunch of different guys trained me, so no one guy trained me, but there would never, ever be another way of a way for wrestlers to get in the business like I did. I literally booked myself into the wrestling business off of a lie. And, and see, whenever that, you know, I thought, you know, Jack Briscoe, Jack Briscoe, you know, when I went back to Florida, Jack looked at me and said, man, he said, we saw that first match that you had. And he said, I got it on tape. I said, Jack, please give me a, give me a, a, a copy of that. He said, oh, no, my brother. He said, because <laughs> when I feel depressed and sad, I popped that bad boy into the VHS, and he said, I tied one up, and he said, I got happy and laugh all over again. (laughs) And that's how I got in the wrestling business, brother. That is the most remarkable story uh, that I've ever heard for anyone getting in the wrestling business. Uh, Nobody would never, ever be able to get in there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to let the fans know. They're listening to the Devereux Committee of Pro Wrestling 
here on the Idiot Radio Network, and we have Brickhouse Brown, wrestling legend, and he probably has the best wrestling story on how to ever break into the business. I just could, I, I can't believe this. I really can't. Now, that was a total. That <laughs> was a true. different time. That was a that was a, to, a totally different time uh, compared to now. Uh, oh yeah, you could you can get away with that now. Yeah, because you could not get away with that now. You know, well, because it now with social media, they got all the ways that they can see if you can work now. See, and plus exactly. WWE, I don't care if you're a veteran that you're gonna go through their system in there. You're gonna go through their farm system first before they bring you up. I mean, look at what they do with guys like Samoa Joe and uh, Bobby Roode. Those guys are seasoned veterans, but they had still had to go through the farm league program. NXT. Which is, it makes, it's actually uh, kind of laughable because you said Samoa Joe, uh, Bobby Roode, those are two guys mm-hmm. that you know you can put on any card and know that these guys are going to sell mm-hmm. the tickets. And they had them mm-hmm. go down to the farm system just to, to get the WWE seasoning. They wanted to throw their salt on it first before they put them on a the main roster. And mm-hmm. Quite frankly, these two guys are on a main roster now, and they're doing exceptionally well. And I'm not surprised. Right. I know you're not surprised. Uh, the wrestling fans, they're not surprised. But I think they're surprising the WWE because if they really felt that these guys were uh, good enough to be on the main roster from day one, they would have put them on the main roster day one mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they they rather uh, toy with guys like that. Um, well, well no, it's yeah. not that. It's not that. I mean, they have a system that they want everyone to go through, and they want you to work and wrestle the way that they want you to work and wrestle. They have to retrain you or reprogram you, and that's what they do. So there's nobody that well, will ever just kind of, Why do you why? think they do that? Yeah. Because, like I said before, you know, when Vince says that, you know, he created the WWE universe. He definitely means what he's saying because everybody that's in that universe, everybody that wrestles on his card, have to have the same mentality, the same deal as what they want you to wrestle like. I mean, I could come up with my style, and they could go, "Oh hell no, you you know that's not acceptable." You're gonna go through the system, and then they retrain you. In other words, I don't care who you are, they retrain you. I mean, they're they're getting all of these people from Japan, and they have to go through the system too. And these guys are proven talent. Even the females are proven talent. But you have to go through their system. They have to reprogram you. In other words, that's exactly the mm-hmm. the word. <laughs> I just wrote that down. They are reprogramming you. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Reprogramming. And see, that's the that's yeah. another problem that I have with the business today because. You know, once you get reprogramming in the WWE, you really can't go anywhere after that. Once you're set in their ways, you can go elsewhere, yeah, mm-hmm. but you can't make the money that you were making up there uh, in TNA or Ring of Honor or one of these other organizations. But it feels like, you know, you hear a lot of guys who leave, they say a lot of, a lot of bad things about the company, but as soon as that company mm-hmm. calls them back, they find their way back up there. And you know, I think well, we're going to see that. Go ahead. Well, simply because it's a known fact. You're not going to make the type of money that Vince is able to pay you. But like myself, when I left WWE, I still made six figures because I would go to Japan and I would go to Mexico and I would work the small territories. And I would stay a year in one territory and make 50000 then go to another territory after another year and then make another 50000 And I would you know, keep my six figures going that way. And uh, I knew a long time ago not to, you know, sign over on the dotted line where he could own me. And that's why when my contract was up the first time, they were going to renew it for $50,000 and give me a raise, and that was going to bump me up to 250000 a year. Now, 250000 is a lot of money now. But back in the 80s, it was fantastic money. So, But I decided to go away, and I went to Japan. I went for a Noki. And I would have half the workload, but I made super money. And I still would average, you know, the, the worst I've done in the business is about 75000 That's the worst year I've had in the business. And that was basically my first few years in the business. 
Yep. Well, how did the, the wrestling business? Change? I have no horror stories to tell. It was always good to me. I never paid any dues. Uh, promoters always wanted to use me because of the way I looked. And, uh, you know, um, Jim Crockett had the best idea because after I left Southwest Championship Wrestling, I went to the Fullers in uh, uh, Alabama with Continental Wrestling. And, of course, they stuck me in with this guy named Jerry Stubbs and put a mask on me, and we were the Olympians. And what it was was he was supposed to turn on me, and I was supposed to start working on a program with him. But they put us in against the original Midnight Express, which was Dennis Condry and um, um, Norvell Austin. Oh, Norvell Austin. Oh, my. Wow. Now, that's mm-hmm. a name we haven't ever heard in so long. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got in the match that first night. They put me in the semi-main event with the Midnight Express, which I wasn't ready for. And I stumped the place out, and I was so stiff from amateur wrestling that when they told me to tag out, they kept the tag for me the rest of the match. They wouldn't let me back in the ring. And after I went back to the dressing room, I was hot because they wouldn't let me back in the ring, and I didn't understand why. It's because they wanted to have a good match. And as long as I was in the ring, the match was going to be a sprinkle root. So when I got back to the dressing room, I'm hot. Why didn't you guys tag me back in? Bob Armstrong came and told me, he said, son, you're not on the level that we needed you to be. So uh, we're going to have to give you a notice, which was my first time, you know, actually getting fired. I said, a notice? He said, yeah, we're going to finish you up in two weeks. I said, oh, okay. And I was so depressed, and I didn't understand why. So I just worked the territory for the last three, uh, two weeks. And on my last night there, they had enough nerve to give me a junior United States heavyweight title shot. On my last night there, this guy by the name of Golden Boy Chick Donovan was uh, wow. the junior heavyweight champion. Huh? That's another name what was I've that? heard. In, uh, that's a, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you now. Okay. And that that's was my plan. I said, okay. I said, okay, they're giving me a title shot on my last night here. See, you got to remember, I wasn't still totally all the way smart. I still was pretty much a, a mark that knew how to amateur wrestling and shoot. So my idea was, okay, if I go in here and win this belt, there's no way they can fire me. They'd have to have me wrestle then. They can't fire the champ. So when I got in the ring, all the finish that they had them came up with went right out the door. My main focus was win the belt. So... I went out and I proceeded to just tear in the chick Donovan and by the time I got through, poor chick didn't know what was going on and I actually won the belt. And I jumped up and down, elated, and I walked back to the dressing room and passed by Bob Armstrong and Robert Fuller and he goes, What the hell are you doing? And I go, Hey, I just won the United States Junior Heavyweight Channel. You can't finish me up now, but you gotta book me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you gotta book me, and they were thirty-eight hot at me because I mean they had filmed the damn thing, so I mean they had to scrap all of that because they would show me just whooping the hell out of Chick Donovan, and uh, he said, "Son," he said, "You got a long way to go in this business. Give me that belt." And then you know I went back because I was living with Norvell Austin at the time, and I went back home to the to the to the apartment depressed. And Norvell came in, and he told me, he said, Rick, he said, man, he said, uh, it's not a, a problem. You're just green. You just don't know. <laughs> and he said, but back there in that time, they booked you. you. You didn't have to have a place to go. They would book you. When they finished you up, they would book you. So they had me booked in the Carolinas in the mid-Atlantic area. And um, I went there, and the first time that they had me on the, on the show, on a match, Jim Crockett came out and looked at the match and said, there's nothing wrong with Brickhouse. He just got to learn the mechanics, and we'll keep him off TV for six months before we put him on TV because they wanted to do something with me. And so for six months, I just worked around the territory on house shows. The territory was so big, I could work the house shows, and I still was making seven, $800 a week because I was in the, in the, in the on the bottom. I was first, second, third match, you know. And then one and day they called me in. experience. Yes, and they called me in the office one day, and I thought at that point in time they were calling me in to fire me because the night before I had wrestled this guy named Gary Royal, and he and I had shared a hotel room. And back then, k was really strict. 
if you got caught, you know, hanging out with the person that you were wrestling, they fired you on the spot. You know, that kayfabe was serious back then. Yes. So Wahoo McDaniel has stopped me and Gary. (laughs) Yeah. Wahoo McDaniel has stopped me and Gary Royal going into the same hotel room together the day before they called me to the office. So when they called me the next day, my mind thinking, Wahoo soft, you know, told told that uh, me and Gary Royal were sharing a room together, and I thought they were going to fire me. So I pull up into the parking lot of the office, and I had to be there at 2 o'clock, and it was 15 minutes before 2, and I would go up to the door, and then I'd turn around because I was scared as hell to go in there because I didn't want to get fired again. So I'm sitting out in my car, and I go back up to the door and get ready to go in the office and turn back around and go sit back in the car. So after a while, this is like 10 after 2, so I just go into the building, and I sit there and go into the office, and you got Wahoo McDaniel, Gary Hart, Big Cat Ernie Ladd, uh, Dusty Rhodes and uh, Jim Crockett and David Crockett, all the big, big, big guys was in the office. And Jim Crockett looked at me and said, "I'm glad you can join us." And he said, "You don't be late when we call him. You be on time." I said, "Well, I was out in the parking lot. I just, I just was scared to come in, and you know, because I mean, if you guys gonna fire me, I mean, I just." He said, "Why would we fire you?" And I said, "Oh, well, I just thought maybe y'all was firing me because you didn't like my work." I wasn't going to give myself up to him and tell him I was staying with Gary Roy if, if uh, Wahoo hadn't said anything. So he said, no, sit down. He said, we've been watching you now for the past few months, and we kept you off the TV. He said, but now it's time to start putting you on TV and see if we can make some money with you. <laughs> he said, you got Big Cat Ernie Ladd tonight in Winston-Salem, and he's going to do the favor for you. And he said, if you don't do it right, Brickhouse, I won't give you another chance. So all day long, I'm looking and thinking, oh, my God, I got Dick Cat in the lab tonight. Oh, my God, what the hell? You know, I'm 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 intimidated and scared. You know, I'm scared out of my mind. Of course. So that night in Winston-Salem, uh, they had Rufus R. Jones in, in my corner. <clears throat> and uh, and the lad tore into We had the match, and, it was, I mean, it was a good solid match. I did most of the selling, and I rolled out, and Rufus would pretend like he was putting a bug in my ear, and I'd get back in and, Tearing the earning last butt for a few minutes, and then he'd take back over. Finally, the finish was, you know, he'd shoot nip it to the turnbuckle, I'd cram up, and hit him with a missile drop kick. And that's what I used to use for a finish. And uh, he laid down and did a one, two, three. And, I mean, he got his heat back up on me after that. But the fact of the matter is, that's how I got, got introduced to the mid-Atlanta area. Big Cat did the favor for me, and it was uphill ever since then. You know, man. You and know I, what? We're going to take I, a break. I, we're going to take a break real okay. fast, and when we get back, we're going to get back to some more of these stories because this is incredible. We have Brickhouse Brown here on the Devereux Committee of Pro Wrestling here on the Idiot Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. For all your heating and cooling needs, service and installation. Contact our friends at Complete Comfort Heating and Air Conditioning. 412-513-3001. Doesn't your family deserve Complete Comfort? Looking for a creative idea for meetings, business lunches, and special events? Call Spiels on Wheels, food truck, and catering, and take the stress away. For more information, call them at 724-244-9881. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash wheels. You're listening to Idiot Radio, taking it to the edge and back. Pizza and Gyro Express, 801 O'Neill Boulevard in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. For menus, coupons, specials, and catering info, visit our website at pizzaandgyroexpress.com. Order online or by phone at 412-672-2182. Don't forget about the lunch buffet and drink every Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. for just $10. The original Pizza and Gyro Express. Don't settle for anything less. And we are back here at the Devereux Committee of Pro Wrestling with legendary performer, wrestler, athlete. Man, you can you can throw so many names at you, Brickhouse. We got Brickhouse Brown here. The best, thing to, the best thing to describe me is the original OG. The original OG. Well, you know what? 
We could, well, you know, because we could go so many directions in this interview. But uh, since you said <laughs> that, you are the original OG. Explain to these wrestling fans who are listening to this show why you consider yourself the original OG and why I consider you the original OG because you have uh, you started a bunch of guys in this business. And um, I think people need to understand. I mean, who well, you first of all, because I sum, I sum it up like this with one of my really with my famous rhymes. You know, <clears throat> here it goes. You know, I'm great in this business, <clears throat> but I'm fantastic when I got a partner. But I'm great when I'm alone, and I'm still the baddest man in jammer when it comes to spitting on the microphone. <laughs> and that sums it up because I consider myself and so do a lot of other people to be one of the best talkers in the wrestling business today. And uh, a lot of people have taken my stuff and, and went on to make money with it, and I have no problems with that. I just wish some of them would cut me a check and send me some money off of it, you know, and <laughs> do the right thing, you know. Well, yeah. But, uh, we can go with a who's who. I mean, I, I, I helped train Booker T and his brother. Stevie Ray. Um, I trained Lex Luger in Tampa, Florida. I trained Ron Simmons in Tampa, Florida. I trained Diamond Dallas Page in Tampa, Florida. Of course, they went to the power plant after they left Florida and got, you know, finished, got the rough edges smoothed out. But initially, I started all of those guys in the ring in, in Tampa, Florida. Lex Luger, Ron Simmons, and Diamond Dallas Page. And as a matter of fact, uh, like I said before, uh, it's like a who's who of of who I've, I've trained a lot of other guys that didn't go on to make it uh, a name for themselves, but um, you know, but for the most part, most of the guys that I trained went on to make money in this business because when I trained them, I made sure that I didn't turn them loose until they were ready. Unlike promote or but, uh, uh, so-called trainers today, they take the money from the wrestler or from the uh, prospective client, and a week later, that client is in the ring, and the the trainer has two grand in his pocket, and you mm-hmm. know how it goes after that. Well, yeah. it's, it's like this. When guys, because I used to charge $3,500, you know, to train a guy. And when I, the guys would say, well, I can go right down the road to a guy that's only charging 700 to train. I said, well, the first thing you should do is when you go to a guy to train you for wrestling, you look at what he has done for his career Exactly. Before you determine what he can do for your career. Because if he hadn't done anything for his career, what the hell is he going to do for you? And that's what I tell people. Here, I train people and I pick up the phone, and you train with me from six months to a year. And then after that, I pick up the phone and I get you booked, and I get you booked on shows with me, and I put you on the road. I put you on the map. And I guarantee all my guys bookings when I train them. You know? And see, honestly... Besides the training, it's the connections that they're uh, paying for. It's no different than college. You know, when you go to college and you get into a fraternity, you know, you're not getting to mm-hmm. the fraternity, you know, uh, it's because you really want to be in one. You're getting in there because you need the connections, you know, for the rest of your life. And sometimes you never know who you're going to meet in that fraternity, but you know everyone has the same goal, and that's to be successful in life. So when mm-hmm. you get into the wrestling business today, uh, a lot of these kids now who sign up, they want to be successful, but the problem is they hear that cheap price, and then they go for that cheap price. Or they go and look on YouTube, and they start studying what these trainers are putting on YouTube, and then they try to do what you sort of done, what you sort of did when you started in a business. Uh, they try to sneak in the business, you know, but mm-hmm. it's kind of hard, like you said, to sneak in the business today. But Mm-hmm. One of the um, one of the, my favorite places. Well, to be honest that, with uh, you, it was it was harder back then because it was a closed monopoly and it was a family type deal. <clears throat> I mean, you didn't get in wrestling unless you knew about the wrestler. And back yeah. then, when I started, you had a lot of guys with these pug nose and cauliflowers, and they could really do some serious damage to you if they didn't want you in. I was just blessed by the grace of God that people liked me, the wrestlers liked me, and they wanted to work with me because, in all, actually honest with you, I've seen a lot of guys that got booked into the business and they broke them up, and that's the way the business was. They would break you up, dislocate your shoulder, dislocate your knee, and make sure that you left there on a stretcher, and that way when you talk to people, you say, oh, those guys are dangerous. They're real, you know, da 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 And I was just so fortunate and blessed that none of the guys, none of the guys 
actually got me in the ring and tried to shoot on me. Well, you know? okay, let's be let's 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 be real now. Let's be real. <laughs> let's be real. Mm-hmm. Now you were the, you were built like your name, a brick house. Uh, number one mm-hmm. and number two, you were able to defend yourself as well. So I'm pretty sure the yes. guy stopped twice <laughs> before they'd even, you know, hey, we're going to try to do something just, you know, to, to teach you a lesson. You know, as they would do, mm-hmm. uh, as they would do certain guys, well, they would teach you a lesson. But I'm pretty sure a guy wouldn't well, think about teaching you a lesson. Well, that was true. That was true. But trust me on this. They had guys like then, they were called hookers, and they would actually be able to tell me a new butthole if they wanted to. Yeah, guys like Gordon Nelson, Bill White, these were old seasoned veterans that were job boys. But if they grabbed you and the promoter told them to do something to you, there was nothing you would be able to do because a hooker <clears throat> can defeat a shooter anytime, an amateur wrestler. The art of hooking is long gone. Um, any guys that I can think of in the business right now that know how to hook because it's not passed down anymore. When I say hook, hooking is basically what Luthez was doing and what Danny Hodge was doing. And the art is long past now because you don't have anybody to pass it down. <clears throat> you know, the old timers like Terry Funk and Dory Funk that knew how to hook, they're gone now, and they're not passing it down to these young kids now. <clears throat> and I would like to think that I'm the last of the old school that actually, you know, know how to hook and show some guys. I'm not a hooker by far, any means of the stretch, but they showed me a few things to be able to take care of myself because a hooker is definitely way more dangerous than an amateur wrestler. So, wow. But if they really wanted to break me up, they had people that could have done that. You know, it just so happened that uh, they actually thought that I was money. So basically the promoter saw something in me and instructed the people, the wrestlers, not to hurt me, to be honest. Do you miss those days? Of course I miss those days because there were so many companies to work for. I mean, if Jerry Jarrett would piss me off, then I would call up Robert Fuller or Ron Fuller and say, hey, I want to come come and work for you guys. They would have me booked two weeks later. If they pissed me off, I would call Eddie Graham up in Florida and say, Eddie, I'm ready to come home, and I would go home for a while until I found the place that I wanted to go. I could always go to a different company and then work. I'm one of the few guys that I've never been turned down, you know, to go wrestle anywhere. And that's a, that's a testament to um, my work ethic and the way I looked. You know, I didn't just go on having a body. I actually like to perform in the ring. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was uh, <clears throat> and see, I, I'll tell you this: when uh, when The Rock finally broke through and became The Rock, he reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of Brickhouse. You know, he mm-hmm. I, I kid you not, he reminded me a lot of Brickhouse. Um. And I know you guys shared some time together uh, down there in the Memphis oh, yeah. days. Did you yes. see what we were going to see, you know, uh, years later with uh, Dwayne Johnson? Did you see The Rock, you know, back then in those days when he was Flex Cavana? Um, To be honest with you, I did. I did. Because at that point in time, I was uh, one of the top guys in Memphis, and I was teaming with uh, – uh, Reggie B, Reggie B. Fine. I was teaming. That's another guy that I broke into business. I don't know if you're familiar with Reggie B, but he used to be a manager yes. for me and uh, Iceman King Parson. You know. But anyway, he was my tag team partner at the time, and we were the world tag team champions. And they brought in uh, Flex Cavana uh, and Bart Sawyer. And the deal was we were supposed to drop the belt to them. Well, when it came time to do that, you know, I let it be known that. You were going to beat Reggie B for the belt, but you weren't going to print Brickhouse. And Flex didn't understand that at the time. And I said, because of the fact that what would it prove, you know, to me and be conducive to me if I let you pin me for the belt when you could pin Reggie, and then Reggie and I could work the program with you, and I can keep my name, my brand, strong like it's supposed to be because basically I was a single wrestler, but I excelled in tag teams too, you know. And years later, when I went to WWE, Rock reminded me of that. He said, "Yeah, I can because I had brought my students in the, uh, you know, in the back area. I used to call, you know, up and get tickets and bring my students there to give them some incentive. And this is where you want to go. This is what you want to yep. do. And they treat you like professionals here. And uh, 
I introduced them to Rock and a few of the other guys that I had known that came through my hands. And Rock said, oh, yeah, I remember the time when I was in Memphis and Brickhouse refused to do a job for me. <laughs> and I said, well, Rock, I said, have you learned your lesson that it wasn't personal, it was just business? I said, now, if I, if you were on the card right now and Vince McMahon told you to do a job for Hardcore Harley, would you be in the rock? Would you do a job for Hardcore Harley? Hell no, you wouldn't, because Hardcore Harley was not on the same level as you unless y'all were planning on putting him in that spot with you. At that point in time, when I refused to do the job for Reggie and let you be Reggie, it's because I was going to break up the team and we were, I was going back into a single deal, so... There's no way I was going to lay down. It wouldn't have been conducive for my career. And he said, oh, now I finally get it. I understand, you know. It's not that I didn't refuse to do jobs. I mean, because I refused to do jobs a lot of times. But I've done more business than I have refused to do business. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things. I can remember when I was getting ready to go wrestle Jeff Jarrett for the Continental Belt in Evansville, Indiana. But they made the mistake of giving me my check first, and it was $100 short. So I kindly packed up my bag, put the belt in my trunk, and went home. And because Ernie Ladd had always taught me, no matter if it's a dollar short, do not go out and wrestle because if they mess with your money and it's not what you agreed upon and you go out and wrestle, then why should they pay you a guarantee if you're going to go out and wrestle for what they pay you anyway? And that made sense and to me. That is <laughs> that's so funny that you bring that up because we have this uh, argument. I run a small company up here in uh, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, well, outside of Pittsburgh, uh, help a consultant, help some friends out. And uh, these guys are having this same dilemma. You know, a lot of guys today, uh, the workers today, they're willing to go and wrestle for free. They're willing to go and do that. It's not because they don't look yes. at it to be honest with you. See, they don't look at it like you guys did. You guys looked at it as a business, as a way to feed mm-hmm. your family. These guys just mm-hmm. look at it this way, you know, they look at it, they're too much into the art of the wrestling business. You know, they're too well, much into the wrestling part of the wrestling business instead of the business. And I think that's why a lot of the uh, independent promotions are as crappy as they are, because they don't bring in workers who are willing to work for the money that they're given, because a lot of these guys aren't getting money at all. So they'll just bring mm-hmm. in anybody. You know, they'll bring in anybody well, for free. Most of the independent guys that are working, they're trying to get ring time and they're trying to go up and down the roads. And most of them have other jobs now because most of most of the guys now that uh, want to be in the wrestling business have to be a weekend warrior. And, and that's because most of the wrestling now is just done on the weekends, Friday and Saturday, on the independent circuit, I mean. <clears throat> Back when I started out, I mean, you know, we worked every night. So if I messed up something on a Monday night, I could correct it the next night, you know, in Louisville, Kentucky. And if I messed up in Louisville, then the next night I can correct it in Chicago. If I messed up in Chicago, in other words, what I'm saying is I got so much ring time. And when these guys now say, well, I've been in the wrestling business 10 years, but I can look at that match and say, okay, you've been in 10 years, let's see, two, two days out of the week for 10 years, You've had about maybe 600 matches altogether. As of now, you know, at last count, my match, I lost count. I, I got up to 3,700, and it might be more, you know. We don't we, we didn't keep up with those things back then like that, but I do know at last count it was 3,700, you know. And that's the difference now. Like the guys don't have the, 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 the places to go to work every night like we did. So it's hard, and especially a guy like me that just got thrown into it and got on the job training because they throw me in with top guys, and I either had to get it or quit it, you know? Because I used to think Ernie Lash used to hate my gut. Because of the way he used to talk to me in front of the boys. One night I had a match, and I walked back to the dressing room, and he was waiting for me. He said, what the hell was that? He said, for a black man, you ain't got no rhythm. <laughs> you know, just talk bad to me. He said, that match was a drizzling shitness. He said, I don't care what you say. You got a degree in communication. I suggest you find a job being an announcer because you suck as a wrestler. That's what Big Cat used to tell me. You know, in front of all the boys, and I start huffing and puffing. And normally, 
I would attack somebody for saying that to me, right? But you got to remember, Ernie Ladd was six eight, three hundred and twenty pounds. So and he was mean, you know. He was legitimately mean. You know, Ernie went to Japan and 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 hit the promoter Antonio Noki in the back of the head and knocked him out. And you don't just do that when you go to Japan because you you're in Japan, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, making a long story short, I thought Ernie hated my guts because that was in the uh, Carolinas. That was in the Mid Atlantic area. So after I had left there and went to Florida, Ernie Ladd was my staunch enemy. And my man, I couldn't stand the man. And I said, from now on, that I don't want to be in the same dressing room with him. I don't want to be around him. But anyway, I'm down there in Florida, and I'm having a good run. They're not putting me on the top because Dusty was on top down there. And, of course, Kevin Sullivan was top heel. So I'm down there in Florida working in the middle in a tag team called the Breakers. That's when breakdancing was out. And we come out and do our little break thing, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm doing good. We're working with the, the Guerreros, Chavo, and Hector, and we worked some some good sh- matches with um, with a few of the guys. And it was just one of them things to where the other guy was not progressing as much, so they weren't happy with his performance. And one night in uh, the Bahamas. Me and the guy, Johnny Condori, that was the tag team partner. We was wrestling against Superstar Billy Graham and Kevin Sullivan. And uh, Superstar Billy Graham said, okay, Brickhouse, he said, we're going to put you over in this match. He said, go up on that top rope after we tell you to and hit me with that missile drop kick, and, and uh, that's going to be the match. That wasn't the finish that we originally had planned, but because of my performance in the ring and because of the way Superstar felt about me, he decided to make my name on the on the map and do the favor for me. And I went up on the top rope, did the missile drop kick, and he laid down for me. And then the next night in Miami, Dusty Rose gave me a notice. He said, I'll break out. I'm sorry, I got to finish you up. You know, I gave you two weeks notice. And I go, what? I said, but I just beat Superstar Billy Graham last night. He did the favor for me. Why are you finishing me up? I'm thinking we, I'm doing a good job. He said, well, you do, are doing a good job. He said, but we got to make some changes and bring in some people. And he said, uh, unfortunately, you know, Dory Funk coming in with the book, and I'm going to the Carolinas, and he got other plans. So there again, you know, my man, I was depressed, walking around, and, you know, in the shows the rest of the two weeks, like I was just had lost my mama. And uh, the last night there, uh, Kevin Sullivan and Dusty Rose looked at me and said, well, what's wrong with you? I said, well, you gave me, you gave me up. I said, you're finishing me up for two weeks, and I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Hold on, just a minute. I'm on the radio, so go oh, yeah. ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he said, uh, what you, what you sad about? I said, man, I said, I love wrestling home in Florida, and you guys don't find me. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna stay around here until y'all wanna use me again. And he go, what? He said, man. He said, let me tell you something. He put me over to the side. He said, the reason I fired you is because Bill Watts want you to come to the Mid-South area. Junkyard Dog has walked out on him and left to go to New York, and he needs another black guy to come in. <clears throat> and I didn't think so at the time. I said, I'm not going to Bill Watts. He only like big, big guys, and I'm not going up in there. He's not going to do anything with me. But lo and behold, they flew me in the Shreveport. Bill Dundee picked me up, and Ernie Ladd was sitting there in the office when I went in, and I go, oh, hell no, not him. You know, because remember <laughs> now, I thought he hated yes. me, right? Yes. So it was Bill Dundee, Bill Watts, and Big Cat Ernie Ladd and Grizzly Smith, Jake the Snake's dad. I went in and shook everybody's hand except for Ernie Ladd, and, and Bill Watts looked at me, and he goes, what did you just do? I go, what do you mean, sir? He said, you walked in the building and shook everybody's hand, but Big Cat, why? I said, well, me and him had some problems in the Mid-Atlantic area, and I figured it's best if I don't say nothing to him and he don't say nothing to me, and then we are right. And he looked at me and said, he cursed me like I'd never been cursed before. I didn't know who the hell a Brickhouse Brown was. And he said, he I had the one that told me yeah. that the man to get the job done, to take Jump Jack Dog place was a guy named Brickhouse Brown. He said, I didn't know who the hell you were. And he said, now you go over there and you shake his hand because you got him to thank for you being here. 
and I've already a short tail of a thing, and I felt like this tall. Yes, uh, sir. I finally slumped, oh, I slumped it over to him with my head down, and I looked up and reached up to him and shook it, and I said, man, I'm so sorry. I apologize. He said, well, brother, he said, my backyard is so big, my kids have to have three-wheeled motorcycles to ride around and play in it. He said, I got so many rooms in my house, I have to check them out at night to make sure nobody's staying in my room in my house when I'm not there. And he said, I got mine. Do you want yours? And right oh. then and there, that's when I said, but I thought you hated me. He said, this is what I did. He said, I was on you like that in the mid-Atlantic area because you got a degree in communication. And so many guys waste their time in the wrestling business when they're not going to make anything of themselves. And he said, I knew you had the talent. He said, that's why I got on you, to make you be even more talented and get out there and bust your butt. He said you was going to either get better or get out. And he said, I wanted you to just get out in time to go get your job doing your degree before it got too late. And he said, now it's time for you to make some money, shut your mouth and learn and do what they tell you to do. And, brother, they pushed me so hard. Ernie went right out there after that and did a 15-second drop kick for me. I dropped his his clothesline, hit that top rope, and hit that missile drop kick, one, two, three. The people went nuts because they had to try to get me over fast so the people could forget about dogs. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, they did. And they did, too, didn't they? They Yes, they did. We're going to take a break real fast. We're going to take a break real fast. And uh, when we come back, we're going to play a name game. Just want to toss some names at you, get your opinions, and uh, see what you think. But uh, you're listening to the Devereux Committee here on Idiot Radio Network, and we have Brick House Brown here on the line. We'll be right back. You're listening to Idiot Radio, taking it to the edge and back. Looking for a creative idea for meetings, business lunches, and special events? Call Spiels on Wheels, food truck, and catering, and take the stress away. For more information, call them at 724-244-9881 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash spielson.wheels. Pizza and Gyro Express. 801 O'Neill Boulevard in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. For menus, coupons, specials, and catering info, visit our website at pizzaandgyroexpress.com. Order online or by phone at 412-672-2182. Don't forget about the lunch buffet and drink every Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. for just $10. The original Pizza and Gyro Express. Don't settle for anything less. Does your dog or cat need some much-needed attention and pampering? Money Paws, full grooming salon for dogs and cats. Featuring full-service dog and cat grooming, bath and brush, haircuts, nails, ears, teeth, and rear-end cleanup. All done with extra love and attention. It's Money Paws. Get an appointment today at 412-207-8250. And we are back here, Deborah Committee of Pro Wrestling, here on the Idiot Radio Network. And uh, we got wrestling legend, superstar, Brickhouse Brown. And uh, Brickhouse, you know, we're going to have to do this again and again and again because, you know, I have so much to get to with you. And and our hour is almost up. So, But what I'm going to do is... uh, Man, time went so fast. I guess I've been running my mouth. No, but no, that's what I want though. I want to hear stories. I want to hear what it was like, you know, when I used to watch it and actually enjoy it. When I was in school and, you know, make my little paper belts or my cardboard belts and I would beat up my little friends in the hallways or the bathrooms as if I was doing an attack, you know, with me and my little friends, you know, we always had our little groups. Um, But, um, I want to get play some name uh, name game here. Uh, okay. One of the first guys that uh, that actually had me watching professional wrestling was Iceman King Parsons. You got any good mm-hmm. uh, Parsons stories for me? Oh my God, I love Iceman to death. Um, matter of fact, it's so ironic that he was my best tag team partner that I worked with, but I never won a belt with Iceman. Um, I won belts. With uh, Norvell Austin, I won the World Tag Team Belts with uh, Reggie B. Fine. 
and I won it with this guy called The Gambler, and then I won the World Tag Team title again with Sweet Daddy Falcone, three-time World Tag Team champion. And with Iceman, we never got that break to do that simply because of politics. But Iceman and I were working against each other before we teamed up. As a matter of fact, I won the Texas title from Iceman. So, but our interviews that we used to do, do, Iceman is one of the few guys that I know that can compete with me on the microphone, you know, word for word. And our interviews used to be so intense because he would say something and then I would come back and say, well, you got that attitude, Iceman, because you don't know who your daddy is. You know, every time your <laughs> mama bring a nigga home, you, she would say, you you would go, you my daddy. You know, that's the type of interviews that we were doing at the time, you know. And uh, oh, lo and behold, we had uh, one of the pay-per-views, the Super Clash in Chicago, and uh, I didn't get the Texas belt from him then, but that following week in Dallas, I won the Texas belt from him. And uh, I kept the belt for about six months and just, you know, working with different people here and there. And Eric Embry was the booker at the time and wasn't doing anything with me. And uh, I go, Eric, I said, what's going on, man? Um, why are we not doing anything? I'm a Texas champion, but yet still I'm not working anybody with any uh, meaning. He said, well, Rick, he said, uh, we're going to make some changes, and he said, we're going to build up this other guy, Gary Young, and we want you to work with him, and we're going to put the strap on him. And I said, okay, that's fine. But I said, are we going to work a program? And he goes, right now, we don't know yet what we're going to do. And I said, well, then i tell you what, when you figure out what you're going to do, then um, you tell me, and then I'll drop the belt when you know what you're going to do after that. And uh, I refused to drop the belt to him that night. So the next night when I was in the shower taking a shower, Bronco Lubitsch, as a matter of fact, the next night was TV. Bronco Lubitsch, the referee, came and took the belt out of my briefcase and gave it to Gary Young, and Gary Young went before the cameras on TV that same night, and they said that, well, we have a new Texas Hillweight champion, gorgeous Gary Young, who defeated Brickhouse Brown and Waxy Hacky Texas, some, some <laughs> little small spot show they thought of. And I yelled out from the dressing room, and people could hear it all in the audience because it, it echoed pretty good. I said, yeah, but you'll never show any damn TV footage on the people in Waxy Hacky Texas wondering when the hell did that happen? You're never showing the film footage on it. <laughs> and so that's what I said. I had to be the first guy to lose a belt while he was in there scrubbing his butt in soap You know. Oh, man. Never happened how before. About, uh, how about Lance Russell? We just lost him this past week, um, a couple of days ago, actually. But uh, Lance Russell, former Memphis wrestling announcer. Well, Lance, when Lance to me, Lance was, was the straight man to my clown butt. You know, because we had so much good timing because I would come out and I would insult him, you old, molded, decrepit, Father John, Geritol, taken, senile, arthritic, old fool. And he'd go, oh, break it out. That's not necessary. You're not wrestling me. You got the king, Jerry Law. And that's how we would play all of each other. And I had great times with Lance. And we had perfect time. And that's what was entertaining the people because we did it live back then. We was live before WWE, before WCW. Memphis Wrestling was live. When it was live for two hours, and you had to be on the go to get it. There was no time to stop and say, okay, cut, let's do it again. Once you did it, you had to do it, and that's why me and Lance Russell had so much good timing because I would do my interviews and plugs the towns, and they always called me one-take brick, you know, because that's all it took, one take. And it got to the point to where they stopped telling me what to say on the TV and just gave me a scenario and let me put it in my own words, you know. And then I have to give credit where it's due. Lawler is the first guy to turn me heel. And he said, you're not a babyface, Brickhouse. He said, your interviews are so heelish. He said, we're going to switch you heel. And that was the greatest thing to ever happen to me in my wrestling career. I will give him that. Even though he hates my guts today, I will give him that. He switched my career around when he turned me heel. I drew nothing but money with him because my interviews were so heelish. And you would thought that I hated all white people, you know. Because I would say stuff like, hey, I'm the black man that your mama warned you about. You, you, you remind me of the white boy I used to slap upside the head in high school. I'd slap you upside the head, pow, and make you do my homework. I'd slap you one more time, pow, 12 o'clock noon, and take your little lunch money. And I'd slap you at the end of the day, pow, and take your little girlfriend. 
And Monday night, you just another little boy. I'm going to slap upside the head and take your belt. These are the kind of interviews that I used to do, man, you know. Well, I'll put it like this. Well, just uh, for the audience that is still with us, we are off mm-hmm. the air, but we have another we have another 10 minutes here to where I can uh, run this. Um, and this is for uh, those who, who likes to listen to the show afterwards. But um, speaking of Jerry Lawler, uh, mm-hmm. give me Lawler. I, I mean, you know, the guy has as many stories about him, and people have there's thousands of opinions on Jerry Lawler. What's your Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. What okay. was your question? What was, what's your opinion on Jerry Lawler? What's my opinion of Jerry Lawler? Yes. A brilliant a brilliant man for wrestling. A brilliant man. No no doubt about it. A brilliant man for wrestling. Yeah. But other than that, you know, like I said before, you know, everybody to work on top, you have to be selfish and you have to be able to, um, you know, just build a company around you. And, and exactly when somebody else came in that was going to get over, you know, of course, uh, you only had spots that you had to get on the, on the babyface slide. Jerry Lawler was number one, and Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett and Bill Dundee shared the second spot, and then you had Dutch Mantel. So as a babyface in the Memphis area, you made no money. Well, when Jerry Lawler turned me heel, that meant that I was able to work with him in the main event. And once they built me up in the main event with him and I worked the other guys in the territory, there was no looking back for me. I learned the business side of it, what to do to keep my career strong and my name going. And so that's why a lot of times, you know, if I didn't like what they were going to do, I said no. And they knew I could pick up the phone call and go any place I wanted to go to wrestle. So basically, you know, I pretty much had my way. And when I say had my way, I wasn't trying to go over on everybody. I just wanted to be business. I wanted to know what was going to be left for me. And Jerry Lawler, you know, he never understood that after we worked our program because he called me up one day and said, well, we're bringing in these guys from Texas now, and we we got you against Austin Kong Monday night. And I said, Austin Kong? I said, well, so what are we going to do for the finish? He said, well, we got to get these Texas guys over. And I said, so you mean to tell me you want me to put them over? I said, without a program, without anything. He said, yeah. And I say, is he going to work with me afterward? And he said, well, no, uh, he's going to, you know, work Bill. And I said, well, tonight, man, I guess I won't be down there because I said, I'm going to put it to you this way. Would you do it? Would you do it, go in there and lay down? If I'm the only black on the card, Memphis is 70% black, and you're going to beat the only black guy on the card for no reason, I said, that's my conclusion for my career, so I won't be there. I'm telling you now, I will not show up. And ever since then, you know, Lala just had it out for me because, of course, on my shoot tapes, I got a little more personal with it. I said, Jerry Lawler should have been born a girl, you know, and there's an <laughs> obvious reason why I said that, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I think about Lawler. He hates me to this day, but I have no ill will, and I don't know why he hates me because I'm pretty sure that big-ass mention that he got, I put more than 20,000 bricks in it myself for that, by the people I drew for him, you know. Yeah. If I made money, then he made money. You understand what I'm saying? Money. He made a lot of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. exactly. He made, oh, so, oh. So he has Brick no House, reason to man. be mad at me. Well, I put it like this. I have no reason to be mad at you, myself, Brickhouse, because you have you came on here, you blessed me, you know, with some stories, and I can't wait for you to come back on here because I can still more stuff. I mean, we didn't even get into the world well, class you just tell, You just tell me when because right now, there's a lot of things going on with me. You know, I've been diagnosed with stage four advanced cancer, prostate to be exactly. They give me less than two years to live. And right now, you know, it's just one of them things I'm going through. I don't have any insurance. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking for the people that really cared anything about me to donate to my GoFundMe deal. And I'm just hoping that do. You know, that'll work. And I put the GoFundMe, I put it up on the description and, uh, I'm going to promote it myself. Um, I want to get it out there for people. Um, because honestly and truthfully, you're one of the good guys in the business. I, you know, I don't hear bad things about you. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can hear, you know how guys talk. Uh, you know how the boys mm-hmm. talk in this business. So, you know, bad things is going to run. Well, I don't I've hear, I've never heard bad head. things about I've you. Been, 
I've been labeled a drug kid, and, and uh, you know, I said, but nobody can never come and say that I showed up at a match high or showed up at a match drunk. I said, any time I showed up in the ring, I gave it 100%. And I said, if you put me in a lineup against people, I said, I would be the last one to be, you know, picked out as a drug kid. So I don't care what people would say. It's because I used to hang around a lot of big-time drug dealers and, and a lot of pimps and stuff in Memphis and a whole lot of stuff. I would have guys down there like Ray J that were known drug dealers and DJ, you know. Yeah. It's just one of them things. So the next time you have me on, which I'm hoping is very soon, we very got a lot no, of times when, when, when I spent with Rick James for three days on a drug binge because, like I said, I didn't walk around with a halo over my head. And on my shoot tapes, I talk about everybody, but I talk about myself even more. You know? Well, I mean, here's a chance I'm going to talk about you. I want people to go to the GoFundMe account. Go to www.gofundme.com backslash brown battles cancer. That's GoFundMe.com backslash brown battles cancer. And um, Brick. We're going to battle this thing with you because, I, like I said earlier, you know, you're one of my favorites, one of the guys that I appreciate that inspired me to get in this business because I didn't see too many dudes that looked like me. And the guys that I seen that looked like me, they was getting beat up every week like my man Rocky Johnson. Like I seen Rocky Johnson. I got nothing but respect for the bro. Look, but I, I seen Rocky Johnson get beat up every week on TV, and it made me so sick. You mean, you mean Rocky <laughs> King? Rocky King, that's it. I say Rocky Johnson for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, Rocky, Rocky King, King every week. Mm-hmm. Yes, Rocky King every mm-hmm. week on that old NWA day, the old NWA days. And uh, I used mm-hmm. to say, wow, my aunt, I had an aunt who knew who Rocky King was because she would, oh, yeah, he's the guy who gets beat up every day, every weekend mm-hmm. on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you yeah. were one of the first guys that I seen, you know, that looked like me. I wasn't getting beat up every week on TV. You was actually one of the dudes I was actually whooping it. So that's the one of the mm-hmm. things I remember, and I appreciate that. And um, I know I'm not the only one who feels that that way. And uh, I can't wait to get you back on here so we could talk about those uh, world class days. And um, okay, still got some more I got a bunch of stories with them Von Erics, bro. I got I got a bunch of stuff about them Von Erics and myself. So yeah, I can't wait either, man. Well, see, you know, you I got, got some stuff to tell you about. Uh-huh. You got me interested. You have me interested in Von Erics and Rick James. So now, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and I can tell you some stuff about Portland, Oregon, about Playboy Buddy Rose and Billy Jack and uh, Colonel De Beers and uh, you know Armando Guerrero. I uh, East Territory. I got some stories, my brother. Got some no. stories, and some of them involve me to where you know uh, the fans might think, oh, I couldn't believe we did that. Like the first time when I smoked weed. You know, with we're, we're in the van with Rick Flair, to, you know. <laughs> well, that's a story so, I can't wait to get into. I that, heard man. that one. I heard that one, but I can't wait to get into that and let these fans hear it, too, who haven't heard it yet. But I want to thank you so mm-hmm. much, Brickhouse. I really appreciate it. And, um, man, I can't wait to have you back on here. But uh, I want to say thank you to Brickhouse, and thank you for those who are mm-hmm. listening. This is the Devereux Committee of Pro Wrestling here on the Idiot Radio Network. Well, the pleasure's been all mine, even though I have a set through here. 